I want to talk about um, how to manipulate people today. So, you know, the Dale Carnegie, how to win friends and influence people. Um, well, I think a lot of the time, instead of influence, we, we switch that over into manipulation a little bit. So this month we're talking about spiritual maturity. Last week we talked about we all have either 100% perfect spiritual health or we are spiritually dead. There's no gradient of how well we're doing spiritually because my spiritual health doesn't come from me. It comes from heaven. So anything that comes from heaven, if it's there, it's great. If there's no gift of life inside of us, if you, if you don't believe the gospel, if you're dead spiritually, there's nothing that you can do. There's no amount of reading the Bible that you can do to make yourself a little bit more spiritually healthy. Um, but at the same time, if you are alive inside of you, there's nothing that you can do to hamper that spiritual health. Now, what we can do is we can hamper its ability to flow through us. We can put a block on it. We can dam up the river of life inside of us so that the only things that are coming through is just, you know, frustration or natural um, things that we've learned in life of, of how to deal with people. Well, one of the things that we have learned how to do in our lives is manipulate to get what we want. When we're kids, the only tool that you have to get what you want is to start crying. Think how frustrating it is to a baby. They don't have words. They can't send a text to you of like, mother and father, please. I might entreat of you for some lasagna. No, they don't even have the teeth to chew that stuff. Imagine how frustrating that is. You have to eat baby food every day. Gosh, can't go to the mall. Can't go buy the latest album. Can't dress yourself smell funny sometimes and there's nothing that you can do about it. So a baby, all it can do is just cry out. I'm mad. I'm hungry. I'm tired. Like it's, it's just all those base things. The funny thing about us is that we, we confuse ourselves to think that we are actually more mature than that. When I get angry, I'm angry. I'm tired. I'm hungry. We never lose that. Now, as we mature and as we get older, we tailor our cries a little bit different so where it's a little bit more socially acceptable. But all you have to do is just turn on YouTube. and We don't tailor it that much. Have you ever seen anybody in a restaurant not get their way? It's hysterical. It's like you are an adult. Why in the world are you acting like that? Me, I'm sitting here talking to somebody, and my friend Blake is standing next to me playing an instrument, and I turn around, today, Blake, shh, (laughs) I don't want to listen to you, and I lash out. Have you ever said or had somebody say something, and you, you respond in that visceral anger, or if you've learned how the anger is not really the best way to do it, you go around the, the bend a little bit, and then you just get real passive-aggressive. Do you know anybody that's passive-aggressive? I'm passive-aggressive. When I'm not, when I'm not doing well, I, I get real passive-aggressive. And when you see that side of me, I apologize. I hate it too. It's like, how are you doing? <sighs> I guess I'm fine. Jeez. Or like, I don't even know how to say it. Like when somebody says something that's just passive-aggressive of like, <sighs> All of that, all of that, 
is just trying to control somebody else. I can't get my way in my own life. There's something that I'm not happy with. So I will use, um, hey, uh, Liz, let's uh, skip forward to that uh, um, manipulation, like the signs of manipulation slide. So I can't get what I want the right way. So I will either use anger and domination to force you into obeying me. Have you ever had anybody like that? Somebody would just yell at you or like respond in anger. I get, I get real grouchy. So I'll lash out in anger. Or the suffering martyr that sits there and takes care of everything. Hey, do you need any help? No, I'm fine. Hey, do you need any help with this? No, I'm fine. Do you need any help with this? No, I'm fine. And then at the end of the day, no one helped me with anything. I did it all myself. It's like, look, we asked 15 times and you said that you were fine. I'm like that. By the way, this isn't for anybody else here. This is me. (laughs) I I just want to talk to you about how I deal with life. And if anybody else can relate, um, that's great. Or we develop a project with somebody. Somebody that's more messed up than we are, and we get in a real codependent relationship, and we try to fix them. They're our fixer-up project. And it's like, wouldn't you be happier if you did this? Wouldn't you be happier if you put, wore these clothes instead of this? Wouldn't you be happier if you ate this instead of that? And we gain our weird self-satisfaction by fixing somebody else. I can't fix my own life. My life's falling apart, so I'll fix your Your problems are way easier to work through than mine, so let me tell you how to do your life. The only power that we experience in life is the power of working on ourselves. It's the only thing that we have. I can't post on your Facebook feed. I can only post on my Facebook feed. But I want you to do certain things. Well, then now I'm left in a quandary. I either give you the freedom to live your life or I try to dominate you or try to manipulate you into making my decisions, but just through your life. Have you ever been in an argument with somebody and it's like, you don't want a solution. You just want to hear your opinion through my mouth. All of that's manipulation. And the Bible says that all of that mess is witchcraft. (laughs) Yay! It's the doctrine of demons. This is what the enemy does. So when we're talking about spiritual health, we're not actually talking about whether we're spiritually alive or not. We're talking about the maturity that we have to let that life that's on the inside of us flow through us. The number one roadblock that we all experience in letting that life flow through us is that we think that God manipulates us, therefore we manipulate everybody else. So real love lets go of that control. Real love lets go of that manipulation. Liz, let's bump back up to that. Um, 1 Corinthians 1, or 13, verse 4. I just went to a wedding this weekend, so it's fresh in my mind. Love is patient, and it's kind. It does not envy. It's not boastful. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. Love is not self-seeking. Real love is not self-seeking. Real love does not tell you what you've got to do to make me happy. 
Real love flows outwards. It never tries to manipulate to draw inwards. Genesis 2, 15 and 17. Now the Lord placed man into the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you will surely die. God planted a poisonous tree in the Garden of Eden, told man, don't eat that, but gave him the freedom, the ability to make that decision. Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. Now listen, today I am giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep his commandments and decrees and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply and your Lord God will bless you and the land that you're about to enter and occupy. I set in front of you life and death, blessings and curses, prosperity or disaster. You get to pick. John 12, verse 4. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, that's going to be a good verse when it starts off with that, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As the keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to whatever was put in it. Jesus put Judas in charge of the finances, and he knew that he was stealing the whole time. Genuine love that comes from the Father is free of control. We are allowed to make whatever decision that we want to make. That's what heavenly love looks like. Is that similar to the love that you have for your spouse? Or are you constantly trying to modify their behavior so that they do what you want them to do? I am, just to confess. When I don't get my way, my brain switches over into what do I have to say, what do I have to do to get you to do what I want you to do? I'm working on it. I'm not there yet. I switch over into manipulation. Unless I'm, I haven't eaten lunch, and then I, I switch over into anger. But love says, this is what I'm going to do. I don't care what you do. Love says, hey, I'm inviting you to the dinner. You're allowed to not come. And I'm not going to get fussy with you. I'm not going to get hateful with you. The love that comes from the Father, the Father has said, This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to die for you. And he doesn't do any of those weird manipulative tactics of like, well, I don't know. I mean, all I did was just die for you. I guess, you know, if you don't want to go to church today, you don't have to go to church today. He doesn't do that. We do that. Don't you understand how much I sacrificed for you? We think he uses anger. I mean, I just, you know, sacrificed everything for you. Um, But if you keep on having those marches, I guess I'll just send a hurricane and drown everybody. Because we read stories of like Noah and the flood, and we think that, well, A, we don't read them that much. 
because we don't read them enough to get the context of what's going on in them. And then we think, oh, I guess he's just really angry. Or we watch Hercules, the legendary adventures. Everyone watched that in the 90s with Kevin Sorbo? It's horribly wonderful show. But we think that, that God, our father, is Zeus up there with a you know, quiver full of lightning bolts, just waiting to give you cancer when you make him mad. The disciples thought that. They walked up to a blind guy and was like, Lord, he's blind. Did he or his parents sin? And Jesus is like, what do you, why do you think that somebody had to sin in order to make this person blind? It's because we think that God is trying to manipulate us to get good behavior out of us. That if we read the Bible more, he'll bless us more. If we spend more hours in prayer, we'll be able to raise the dead. We think that his blessings and that his gifts are conditional on our behavior, and they are not. Love is not conditional on behavior. Now, relationship is, if you never build a relationship with the Lord, he's not going to beat down your door. He's not some weird mother-in-law that's like, hey, I just showed up. Don't you want to have a relationship with me? No. He's in his place. He has issued an invitation of relationship to you. If you never want to take him up on that, he's good. He's not passive-aggressive. He's not angry. The Holy Spirit is not in a weird codependent relationship with us, though. But unfortunately, a lot of our awareness of relationships are these weird, manipulative, codependent things. And so we think that, well, I, I had an issue. I had a hurt. Why didn't you come save me? I would have saved you. And then we get mad at other people and we get mad at the Holy Spirit for not coming and rescuing us. Well, did we ask? Like, I cannot believe that I failed this test. Like, well, did you study? No. Well, consequences. I cannot believe that God has not gotten me out of debt yet. Well, it's your credit card. God, help me. Okay, I'll send you a friend to help you work through your budget. Not them. They smell funny. They get real bossy. I don't like them. It's like, okay. <laughs> and the Lord will not lose one night of sleep over us not utilizing his resources. We want the Lord to lose sleep over us, though. Because we're used to being in these weird codependent relationships. In order for us to walk in spiritual health, the number one thing that we're going to have to do is we're going to have to uncouple control and manipulation from love. If we bake somebody a cake, we can't get mad when they don't bake us a cake. Right? Because that's not love. When I give somebody on the side of the street $5 and they're not sober the next day, I can't get frustrated at that. That's not love. God takes steps towards us in love, and then we respond to what he has already done. That's what spiritual maturity is. Do I read the Bible, and we're going to get into... Um, like spiritual disciplines and spiritual practices next week, but all of that stuff, do I read the Bible to make him love me anymore? No. But that has to be an actual no that's down in our heart. Like to, mentally we can say, well, no. I mean, me reading the Bible is not going to make him love me anymore, but do we really believe that? 
Or down deep, do we secretly think that if we go to the right conference or we spend, you know, or we say the right thing in the right worship environment that all of a sudden the lightning bolt's going to hit me, I'm going to be able to prophesy. That if, if I do something to make him happy, he's going to bless me with some superpower or something like that. I, I do. I know all of this is true, but I still couple what I do for God to him responding to me instead of what I'm doing for God as a response of what he has already done. Um, what would be different in your life if you knew that you were loved and accepted by God and there was nothing that you had to do in response? What would worship be like for you if you finally were free of the idea of you having to make the Holy Spirit happy with you? What would be different in your relationships with your friends or your family members if you were perfectly loved and accepted no matter if you messed up the Thanksgiving meal for four years ago? What happens if you got to walk out from underneath the manipulation of your parents, that they're trying desperately to get you to be the person that you know that you're never going to turn into? What happens if you never experienced that fog of disapproval? What happens if you let other people in your life go of having to walk around on eggshells trying to make you happy? What would be different in my life if I set everybody free from all those unspoken expectations that I've never communicated to somebody, but it'd just be really nice if you showed up with flowers tomorrow. Did you ask for flowers? No, but if you loved me, you'd give me flowers. I'm not married, though. Please give your spouse flowers. It no longer has to be an unspoken request. I am requesting you. You need to go get your spouse flowers. You need to go to say, baby darling, I love you. But when it's, when it's about me, when somebody doesn't dance around on eggshells to make me happy, why in the world am I irritated at that? Now, that's not love. We need a revolution of what we think love is in our lives. The world doesn't know what love is. The world does not experience true love. The world does not experience true acceptance. And if they started feeling that flowing from the church, I promise you this community would never be the same. This room would never be the same if we were finally set free from all of that. Well, did you hear what she did last week? Did you hear what happened to him at the office this week? Of all this weird stuff, and then when they pop up, hey, how are you doing? You know, that's not love. Hey, baby darling, I, I don't care what you did to your car this weekend. I love you. Come here. I love you. I know that it's been a rough week for you. Come, here, come in here. Anyone have a grandma like that? It doesn't matter what you did or how nasty that week was. When you went to grandma's house and she picked you up in one of those big bear hugs, you know, some of us have had grandmothers that are opposite. Quit running through the house. 
Quit touching that. Don't touch that. Eat your food, you know. That's not genuine love. I have a project for us. We're going to walk through this little thing, and then we are going to pray, and then we're going to go home. What we're about to do could potentially change somebody's life right here. I want you to get your phones out and open up like your notepad or get a piece of paper out and a pen. Turn to a blank page in your notebooks. We are going to compose a theme. Christmas story? No. Brandon, I said a Christmas thing. Well, it's not July, but in August. That's as close as I get. All righty, so we've got our phones out, we've got some pieces of paper out, or we've got some uh, mental stuff going on. Let's just take a break, close our eyes. We're not going to do any yoga. Take a deep breath. I want you to describe, not out loud, what the Father looks like in your mind. When I say Father God, what is the image that pops up in your head? Take some notes. I mean, you don't have to. You don't have to write. You know, the best-selling novel. No one's going for a Pulitzer Prize today. But what does Father God look like? Does he have a long beard? Does he have a short beard? Does he have a beard at all? What color are his eyes? Does he have eyes? Where is he in relation to you? Is he sitting down? Is he standing up? Is he doing ballet? Why would you think that the Father God wouldn't do ballet? What does the Father look like for, in your perspective? What color is the room? When you think about the Father God, what color of a room is he in? What's he doing? Is he standing up? Is he tending to sheep? Is he tending to llamas? Is he sitting down? Okay, so we've got an idea of what the Father looks like to you. What feelings do all the stuff that you wrote down or you thought about, what feelings does that communicate to you? What is being communicated by what you're seeing? By the way, what your mental image of the Father is, that's not what he looks like. So what we're doing right now, like your brain has an image of who God is personality-wise and reactions towards you, and your brain will supply all of that stuff as a mental image. So who here had, like, that the Father God was on top of, like, a big staircase that just ended in, like, a blazing light? I can't, I can't see anything. That's just the Father is up there in that nebulous void. That was my idea of the Father God. I got that from Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey when I was six. I guess not six. I guess I was nine. 
I picked up my views of my heavenly father from Bill and Ted's bogus journey, not from the Bible. So what did that communicate to me? Is that the Father God was on this elaborate, beautiful staircase, and it ended in unassailable light. Well, that seems real distant, doesn't it? How am I supposed to get to my dad if he's up at work doing his job? Dad's not there. Ironically, my dad, uh, my physical father, deals with alcoholism. And I love him to pieces, but there was a lot of my childhood that he wasn't there. He could take me to the fair, you know, we would have fun, but like, you know, he was never a provider. And so I supplanted my ideas of the Heavenly Father for ideas of my physical father, that he's not, he's not attainable, he's not there. He's not able to be reached. And so today in my life, even though that I've walked through this a thousand times, my natural tendency is to not know that my heavenly father is going to provide for me. So he's busy. He's up there. He's got all of his money in a bank account that I can't get. Let's close our eyes. What does Jesus look like to you? When I say Jesus, what does Jesus look like in your mind's eye? kind of robes are he wear, or is he wearing? Is he wearing like tennis shoes? Is he casual Jesus or is he formal Jesus? Does he have a beard? Is your Jesus Caucasian? I mean, the physical Jesus wouldn't be Caucasian. But then again... We read what the physical Jesus looked like is he looks like he is a lamb that got slaughtered. So where is Jesus standing in relationship to you? Like when you pray, hey, Jesus, where is he? Or are you always praying in a room alone? Do you think that Jesus isn't even there? Is he unconcerned? What emotion is on the face of Jesus when you think about Jesus? All right, we're going to do the same thing with the Holy Spirit. When I say the word, words Holy Spirit, what is the image that pops up in your head? Holy Spirit, what do you look like? Is that difficult for anybody else? I've, I've heard people describe the Holy Spirit as like, well, he's just like a swirl of color. Or like he's wind. You know, like very rarely do I hear people say, oh, he looks like Frank from the office. I mean, not the office, but my office. It's hard to, to put descriptors on the Holy Spirit sometimes in our mind's eye. But if he's this nebulous, floating, ethereal void, how is he going to do anything in my life? 
Like, do I walk outside and go, wind, cool me? No, I can't control the wind. I can't have a relationship with the wind. I'm not Pocahontas. Okay, let's see if we can change some of that stuff up. Let's go back to our Heavenly Father. Where He is, the, the emotions that He's got on His face is communicating something that you already believe about Him. It's not communicating truth. It's communicating something that you already believe about Him. And there are lies that are hidden in your view of God. That he's manipulative, that he's controlling, that he's passive-aggressive, or that he's angry and lashes out. And you picked a lot of this stuff up from your natural father here on earth, or some father figure, some coach that you had in high school. Like, our image of God is this moldable clay, and we spend our entire um, childhood putting pieces of male figures in our life on Father God. Or some, I mean, it might not even necessarily be male. Just some authority figure, we put those on God. That's not God. That's an idol. We need to have an encounter with our actual Heavenly Father. So there's a mixture of some truth in that. There's a mixture of some lies. So let's just take a second. And I want you to say this out loud. You can just do it, you know, as a whisper so that the person next to you doesn't hear. But at some point in time, we need to stop being embarrassed. I cry in front of you guys all the time. You can whisper stuff out loud. Um, I don't intend that to be passive-aggressive. It might be a little passive-aggressive. I sacrifice for you. Why can't you sacrifice for me? I apologize if, I, if that was passive-aggressive. <clears throat> so we're going to have the, the view of our Father God in our mind. Just say, Father, is there a new image that is a little bit truer than the one that I see. Yeah, Father, is there a new image that you want to give me? What new truth do you want me to see about you? What'd you see? Don't try to see something. Just let it come to you. Father, show me. you're seeing something, just write it down. So the first time I, I walked through this process, one of my, my favorite memories of my dad, it's one of his superpowers. I don't know if your dad was like this. Long time ago, we used to have things called commercials. And when a commercial was on TV, you couldn't skip it, you couldn't pause it, you just had to deal with it. So my dad would, we would always be watching multiple shows at the same time. The important one that we were watching, and then our side hustle show, the one that we watched in between the commercial breaks. And my dad was an expert at like, he'd, like he would lay on the couch and he would hold the remote control like this, and he would nail the channel right as a commercial was ending. And as a kid, it just blew my mind of like, oh, wow, my dad's the coolest. What a low barrier of entry, you know? So if you think that your, your kids don't think that you're awesome, you don't have to do that much to be impressive. And so I would lay on, on my dad's 
chest. And like on Saturday mornings, we would watch like the new Yankee workshop or like this old house and then Bob Ross. And we would go back and forth with PBS and, you know, some other cartoon that he hated. So the first time that I was ever father, I ever said, Father, what is the new image? I just got the impression of me laying on my heavenly father's lap or chest. And him being able to nail the different things in my life that I needed him to do. It's like, don't worry about that. I got it. You're not going to miss this TV show. I know exactly when the commercial's ending. And that's the new image of my heavenly father that I had. Instead of him being this distant, far-off deity that I couldn't know, instant intimacy. Oh, that's right. That's what my heavenly father is. Instead of learning something about, instead of learning a lie about my heavenly father, my, my heavenly father planted a seed in my natural father to teach me what intimacy was like with my heavenly father. And I missed it. I missed it the whole time. But instead, our heavenly father wants that, that closeness, that connection. So I ask you, like, what is that for you? Instead of our heavenly father being one way, what's the new way that he's wanting what new role is he wanting to play in your life? So I'm telling you, we're in a, a season of transition. We're getting rid of the old 70s paneling and wallpaper. It was great in the 70s. It's time for a change. The way that we did church a thousand years ago, it was great. But we are in a season of change. The way that we did America 30 years ago is not the way that we do America today. It's okay. Change is hard. It's difficult. Dust gets sprayed up. You open up a toy chest and it's like, oh no. Have you ever been cleaning and then like found black mold? And it's just like, no. It's great stuff. Thank God. It's, it's been growing there for a month. Thank God we found it. Let's spray some stuff on it and kill it and clean it and take care of it so we're not breathing that mess in. But change is hard. But if we're in a season at a time of transition and change, why in the world would we hold on to these old warped views of how God reacts to you? There's a change coming once and for all. You make the front page. Man, you as major news. Newsies? Nobody. Wow. Okay, we're going to have a movie night with Church on the Hill. We're going to watch Newsies. And I will cry the whole time. If your God is distant and removed and not not wanting a relationship with you. It's time to change it. The season's changing. Let's get a new idea of what the Heavenly Father is for us. And while we're at it, you can get into your car and you can go home and you can do the same thing with Jesus. You can do the same thing with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, what is the new way that you want me to deal with you? Because for a lot of us, the Holy Spirit is this weird thing that makes people act funny. And that's not who he is. So, Father, what are the new ways that we need to be doing business here at Church on the Hill? What's the new vision that we need to have from you? Not necessarily about my finances, not my bank account, not how I drive, not how I eat. Father, let's start, start off with just the new of you. 
What is something that has been true the whole time and I've never known it? It's that new transition. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would revolutionize our life this week. That you would do a work inside of us that I would uncouple heavenly love from control and manipulation. It is hard for me to let that stuff go. Father, I confess that when I don't get my way, my immediate response is to use domination or manipulation to try to get my way another way. And what that means is that I'm not trusting you to take care of my needs. Father, give us this day our daily bread. You're going to take care of me today that I don't have to switch over into manipulation to get what I need. I don't have to switch over into anger and aggression to get what I need. That's what the enemy taught me. That's what my broken childhood taught me. That's not what you taught me, and that's not what the truth is. Father, the truth that we choose to believe today is that you love me regardless of what I do, and you're going to provide for me regardless of what I do. Father, we want to open up our arms today, and we want to receive those blessings. Father, bless us. Father, bless us, not necessarily so that we can be a blessing to other people. But Father, bless us. And as a response to that, we will bless others. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. I love y'all. Just for the record, I know, that, I know that the world's a scary place. I know that the world's a stressful place. I know this room can be scary and stressful sometimes. But regardless of what's going on in here, we're fam- or what's going on out there, we're family here.